You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about money. Now, believe it or not, most pastors I know hate talking about money. They do. They don't. They hate might be a strong word. They don't like it. They significantly, seriously do not like it. And, but, and most of it's because they're very conscious of the perception of pastors talking about money. Church, you know, and so the, 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 the stereotype is, you know, every time I go to church, you know, they talk about money and, and you know, they're taking some special offering, some special need, and they always seem to have their hand out. And pastors are really sensitive to that perceptions, and we don't like it. And so it, you know, makes us look greedy, selfish, and or at the very least makes us look insensitive to maybe what some of the needs of our people, you know, what they're facing in the congregation. So why do we talk about it then? Well, there's a few reasons. One, um, there's a practical reason. No organization in existence can exist without money. I mean, just whether it's a business, for-profit business, a non-profit business, a church as an organization can, fun- can only function with money. Now, here's the thing, though, about a church, or about us. So this is, say, Grace Covenant. When you give to Grace Covenant, you are supporting our mission and vision. So it's not just the building. I mean, there's the practical aspects of it, but it's also the thousands upon thousands of dollars that are given away into people in the community, to other ministries, to needs, to those within our own body, to those in other countries this is not an organization that accumulates wealth for the benefit of its managers or for those in, le- in leadership. It's all about what, what is God given to us. And so when you give, that's part of, of, there's a practical aspect of that. But even within that, though, there's this mission and vision that's behind it. But when you give to Grace Covenant or when you give here within this or any church, there's something that's much deeper than that. There's something much more significant, even spiritual about this act of giving. Jesus talked about money. In fact, he talked about money a lot. He talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talked about it more than anything else. It, every, every other topic, he talked about money more than everything else except for the kingdom of God. That was his number one topic. Money or things having to do with money was the second most common topic. One third of all the parables that Jesus told had to do with money. One out of seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talk about money. 15% of the recorded words of Jesus are about money and possessions. And then in the topics, uh, if you add in the topics of stewardship and resources, and about 25% of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels relate to these topics. All right? So whenever you hear Jesus talking about something, I just think that's something we should pay attention to. So for me, the question is, why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? Because he doesn't really tell us. He doesn't uh, come out and say, hey, here's, here's what you need to know. Here's my sense. I just think Jesus knew that we would have trouble with the stuff of life. 
I just think he knew, he knew human nature. Then when it come to the stuff of life, we would be, we would struggle and we'd have challenges. There's this powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. There's a direct correlation to how we view and and we deal with money and possessions and our spiritual maturity. So here's the irony. Everyone needs money. I mean, it's not like we can go without it. We can't, in order to make life work, each one of us needs money. However, we can easily become overly dependent upon money. We can think that money can give us security in life. If I just had a little bit more, then we'd be okay. A little bit more. I just, I just need this much and then we'll be all set. Or if I can just get the promotion or if I can just get that new job or, and we're always looking ahead to something else because we think that's where we're going to find security. We think that money can give us happiness or pleasure. If I could just have that, then I would be really happy. We can become preoccupied with money or the lack of it, and it becomes the basis by which we assess our lives. We assess our lives based upon how much our income is. Whether we make little or make a lot, that that can often reinforce how we view ourselves and how we view the value of our own lives. The challenge with money is that if we're not careful, we will look for it to provide those things that only God can provide. So as a pastor here at Grace Covenant Statesville, here's my commitment to you. I will never try to manipulate you in order to get money from you. However, I will, without hesitation and with great passion tell you what I believe to be the biblical perspective on giving and money. For the simple reason is that I don't want to deprive you of the opportunity to receive God's blessings because there's a direct correlation between being generous and living a life of generosity and being part of what God is doing in your life. In fact, I would suggest that if we don't talk about money periodically, we could be guilty of of incompetence or negligence as far as teaching you what the Bible teaches about it. So it's not about us getting money from you. It's about you engaging in a life, the kind of life that God wants for you. And there's this cause and effect that goes into it when we talk about money and the things of money and resources and possessions and all that kinds of fun stuff. So what does, what does God have to say about money? What does God think about all this? I have a few thoughts. <clears throat> In a few minutes uh, we have here this morning. One thought is this, money is a trust. God is the owner and we are the stewards of his goods. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live it. It all belongs to him. It's all his. Our theology is such that God created the heaven and the earth. It all He made everything. It all belongs to him. And yet, from the very beginning, he's asked us to care for his things. He put Adam in the garden before he'd even made Eve. And look at Genesis chapter 2. He said he put Adam in the garden to take care of it, to to manage what God had created. And in the New Testament, multiple parables talk about what it means to be a good steward of the resources God has given us. 
So, so even though God owns it, God is the owner of all of it, he's put us as stewards of his stuff, if you can use that word. There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's what we do with that money that matters. God is saying, don't be selfish. And an unquenchable appetite for the acquisition of money and the hoarding of money are contrary to God's economy. Romans 14 tells us that all that we have is on loan from God and one day we will have to give an account of how we manage God's goods. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and he tells him, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice it didn't say the money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So as a steward, it belongs to God. The idea of hoarding God's stuff really is kind of, it's illogical at that level. And so we shouldn't be wasting our time doing it. There's another aspect of being a steward though as well. And that's ultimately, you're not responsible for what happens to it. Uh, the first church we passed was back in our Minnesota days. I have a lot of stories you probably gather over time from my Minnesota days. Um, this, this building ran, part of the building had a flat roof. And flat roofs in Minnesota, it's like, really? What were you thinking uh, doing this? But there's a flat roof and it leaked. Um, in the wintertime, what would happen in the summertime, it was fine. It would drain. But in the wintertime, what happens is it would snow, and you have melt, and then it freezes on top. And you literally have ice that's this thick on top of water that's that deep. And it just, the water can't escape. And, and so it just, it finds the cracks and ultimately finds its way through. And it was, it was a disaster. And so for some of us, uh, I spent hours upon hours up on that roof in the middle of winter in Minnesota, chipping off chunks of ice and sweeping off the water and cleaning off this roof. And, and we're talking about a roof that's the size of probably from that wall over to the children's there. So we're not talking about this little tiny, it was, we didn't have to clean off all of it, but clearly into many feet on the edges to make sure the water could drain and, and hours and hours were spent up there. But one day I'm up there sweeping and breaking up ice and I'm talking to God and I'm really exasperated with the whole thing. And uh, I literally, I said this prayer. I said, God, this building belongs to you. It's your building. If you want your roof to leak, then it's up to you. <laughs> I'll continue to do my part. I said, I'll, I'll come up here and I'll break up the ice and I'll keep sweeping off the water. I'll do my part, but I'm not wasting one more moment of emotional energy worrying about this. Amen. <laughs> and I went back and kept in my roof and I didn't, I didn't spend another moment worrying about that roof. Ironically, it wasn't much longer than after that, that God provided a long-term solution and a new roof for the building in ways that we didn't, I had no reason to expect that that would be the solution. And 
It was a tapered roof, so it had a slope built into it, so it would never, we shouldn't have that problem again. Sometimes we're so afraid of losing our stuff that we become anxious and fearful, causing us to become selfish and hoarding and gathering and clinging to it. Realizing that we're but stewards of God's stuff frees us from that bondage. We don't have to worry about accumulating it. We don't have to worry about losing it. It's all his. We're just stewards of it. So money is a trust. The second thought about money or how God thinks about money is that money is a tool. God has given us a tool to use for our good and the good of others. Uh, during our days in, in Connecticut, um, I was speaking this a Sunday morning, probably about 750 people. I'm just even the size of scopes. So you understood kind of what, what the context was. And I said, I need five volunteers. I didn't tell them why, what for or what. Or anything. I just need five volunteers. So obviously it took me a few minutes because people are always reluctant to respond to a pastor on the spot in the middle of a congregational meeting or a service. And so, but five people finally said they'd come up and uh, so they got up here and they're all facing people. And I went out and I gave each one of them a crisp $100 bill. And I looked at the girl and I said, now a bunch of you are really bad, you know, upset. You didn't volunteer here now, aren't you? Because uh, so I said, and I looked at the five, I go, listen, you can spend the money however you want. The money's yours. I said, but I just want you to re- remember this. There's one caveat in this, is that this is not your money to spend. It's God's money. I want you to spend it any way you want. You have the freedom. No one's telling you how to spend it, but it's God's money you're spending, not yours. Now, we're going to give you a few months to figure out what you're going to do with this. Then we're going to come back and you can tell us what was going on. So one of these people, her name was Taylor, high school student. Um, just the, one of the neatest uh, young women. And uh, um, so she was one of the five. And, and she tells a story. She said she went to school the next day, sitting on the you know, cafeteria table. And she's like, you just won't believe what happened to me in church yesterday. You know, she goes through the story and her friends are like, wow, what are you going to do with the money? And she's like, I don't know. And, you know, they're brainstorming all this. And uh, she comes back, you know, she comes back to me because I don't know what to do. And I said, that's okay. No rush. Just pray. Ask God, God, what do you want me to do? He'll show you. This went on for weeks. And she's, I don't know. In fact, it came to the point where she saw me in the building. She would turn and go the other way. She avoided me. <laughs> like, like I was trying to, like, I, hey, I'm just, you know, it's, it's up to God to communicate with you. So one day she comes in and she, so she goes, I know what I'm going to do. I know what I'm going to do. She says, and in and, and Danbury, Connecticut, so it's a city, it's about uh, three times the size of Statesville, about 75,000 people, so it's three times the size. But there's one part of town where, where all the day laborers would gather. So if you were doing construction, doing something, you just need some people for a day, that's where they were. The, 99.5% of them were from other uh, um, um, Central or, or South American countries, um, some Brazil, but yeah, so Central South American uh, countries, um, but they were hired from the day, and that was, you know, so that's where they were. Anyways, we're in the middle of, it's just, it was in the middle of January, and, and Taylor, she was, we're driving by, she saw a number of them standing out there one morning without any coats, and she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy winter coats for some of these guys here. So here's the thing. She goes, she goes to school. She says, I figured it out because all her friends have been tracking this with her and says, here's what I'm going to do. And they said, we want to be part of this. Let me give some white coats. And so they went in. I'm not kidding. 
within a matter of a, a few days, a week, she had hundreds, hundreds of coats. We literally, every day labor that showed up for a few days got a winter coat. We, there were multiple shelters in the Danbury area. We filled everyone up with all the coats they could take. Another guy and I, we had, been, had a partnership with a, with a nonprofit in Philadelphia. We loaded up a 14-foot panel truck with winter coats and took to him because Danbury had no more room for winter coats. All because one high school girl asked, God, what do you want me to do with this money? What do you want me to do with this money? And because she asked that very simple question, not just the lives of the people who were, got the coats, but everyone who participated in that was just like, this is amazing what God can do. What God can do when we ask the simple question, God, if this is yours, what do you want me to do with it? It's a test. God looks at money as a tool. In our, whether it's the money we have cash or whether it's, it's the possessions we have, they're tools for God to use if we would just but ask him what he wants to do. Our money can be helpful or harmful. It can be a blessing or it can be a curse. It all depends on how you use it. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Notice the correlation there between our, our physical and the spiritual. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So money is a trust, money is a tool, and money is a test. <clears throat> God can use money to reveal our true loyalties. In Mark chapter 10, uh, the, the author is telling us the story of a young man who approached Jesus. And it says it's a wealthy man. And uh, he's wanting to know, how do I inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus' response actually is a bit odd. Because if you're familiar with the story, Jesus says, well, you know, it's what do you read? And it's, you know, it's basically the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, all these things. And it's odd because Jesus came to replace the law, not, or fulfill the law. But when he asked, well, how do I have eternal life? He referred him back. So anyways, it was just odd. For me, it was just odd that, uh, that you direct him that way. But what was even more significant is the young man's response was, I'm good there. I'm doing these things. And Jesus, here's the thing, it, it, I love this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. For me, that says that he looked at him and he saw, I think what he saw was the heart of the young man was good. That this was, this was the guy who was trying to get it right. But Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Here's what's interesting. Jesus never told anyone else to go and sell everything they have. This was a one-time deal in this very specific situation. So why did he make such an extreme request of this young man? I believe it's because Jesus wanted to expose that the strangle that this money had on this man. If 
by putting that criteria out there, it revealed the fact that how, how much of a priority this money had become to this one individual. For the rich young man, the problem was not that he had wealth, but that his wealth had him. It controlled him. Um, It was about six years ago, seven years ago, six or seven years ago, I bought the first lottery ticket I've ever bought. So up until that life, I never bought any, and and, think about that what you want, but I bought one. And... uh, (laughs) You know, it's one of those times where the, the you know, now the, the, the amounts are just unbelievable. But this was back then, it was still really high for the time. So I thought, eh, let's, you know. And uh, in my mind, I'm playing out, right, if I won, what am I going to do with this? But here's the thing. I was going to do really good stuff, okay? None of it was, I was not going to buy any stuff for me. I wasn't thinking about buying a new home, a new car. I'm, I'm, I'm good with all that stuff. I was, I was like, here's the endowment we're going to set up, and there's a fund for helping nephews and, you know, nephews and nieces go to college. You know, some, my parents, you know, I'm thinking about all this. What I, I'm, I'm thinking of like really generous stuff and really good stuff, and I'm going to do it then, and uh, I didn't win. <laughs> um, you probably guessed that, just, uh, but... Uh, the very next day, I get news that my sister-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. Immediately, immediately the Holy Spirit reminded me back to the day before. And it says, if you had won, what good would your money be now? It couldn't prevent this from happening. Now, maybe you might be able to get her the best medical care available, but ultimately her life was in the hands of God. Okay, I get it. Money was not the thing. It was not the solution. Ultimately, it comes down to this, trusting God. In that regard, money is, is a test. Sometimes money or the lack of money reveals our true loyalties. <clears throat> and lastly, money is a testimony. God can use money to expose the values and the priorities that have shaped the user's character. Matthew 25, Matthew is, Jesus is telling another story of a man who goes on a journey and he leaves some of his assets to his servants. Um, so it depends on your translation. Some of us says he left five talents. Some of us says he left five bags of gold. The word there is one for talent. Um, one left five bags of talent, or five talents. One left two talents. One left one talent. So here's this. One talent is worth 20 years income for, for a day laborer, okay? So I just played it out. So I said, if you use minimum wage, $7.25 an hour, times, you know, full 40 hours, 2,080 hours, that's basically $15,000 times 20, 20 years. So we're talking about one talent has about the value today, about $300,000. So one of them, he gave five talents. So he gave him $1.5 million. The other one got around $600,000, and the third one got about $300,000. What Jesus is trying to say is this was not just a few bucks. These were significant things that he left for these servants of his. And then all it says, he's, he went away for a long time. doesn't tell us where he went or why he went, but after a long time, he returned to settle up with his servants. The one who had the five talents, who had, now had five more, so literally he gave it, here's, here's $3 million that I have. The other one had, who had two talents now has 
an additional two, so he's now got, you know, 1.2. And the third one says that, you know, I was afraid of you. I didn't want to risk it, so I just buried mine. Here, here's your original money. And Jesus in this parable just, uh, this master just rips into this servant, says, you knew I was this kind of person and this is all you did. Why didn't you at least put it in the bank and get interest? Then how could you be so un faithful and, and just really rips into this and condemns him for his lack of activity and lack of doing anything. So as I'm reading this story and I've, you know, over the years I've read this m- multiple times, God is not against the accumulation of money. This, this, this master is not condemned for having all this money. That's never been the issue. So having money is not the problem. <clears throat> In fact, <clears throat> the master rewards the one who had the you know had the original five, he and and um, he actually takes the one from the original the one who just had one talent actually gives it to him. So the one who had a lot got more. So the idea of accumulating wealth, accumulating things, was not the issue. The parable doesn't condemn money, but also doesn't condemn poverty. Okay, there's no there's no condemnation there. It does condemn the servant who does not do all they can on behalf of their master. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or little. It's what do you do with what you've been given? What, is, what do you do with what God has given to you? That's the basis upon which each of us will be measured. <clears throat> Our use of money is a reflection of what we value. What are the things that you value? Again, money is a necessary part of life. We all need it. But if you think money will bring you happiness, it may for a while. I mean, let's be honest. It can be a lot of fun. But that's not long lasting. We, we've heard the stories. We know about people who have won the lottery. And not too long after that, their life is worse than it was before. It's gone. Their relationships are destroyed. Just the simple acquisition of money is not the solution. It won't bring us happiness. <clears throat> if you're looking for, to money for security, it won't. Because if you do get it, you'll then live in fear of losing it. <clears throat> I mean, we do. You get something and that's like, oh, if I can't maintain this or keep this up. and It kind of goes back to what we were sharing during worship, what I shared earlier. This ultimately comes down to trust. Do you trust God to provide for you? Do you trust God to provide for you the sense of security, happiness, or are you putting it in money, or are you putting it into things? And I just want to say again, for those of you who may struggle with this issue of trust in God for these things, that God is trustworthy. God is so very faithful. God can do what he desires to do in your life if we'll just let him do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I'm thankful that you give us money. Uh, Honestly, some of us would like a little more, but uh, Father, each of us, Lord, our heart and our desire is to trust you in every area of our life, and particularly in the area of finance. Lord, uh, the acquisition of things is not the solution. The money is not going to provide us the security that we want, Father, only you, only in you can we find that security, regardless of our circumstances. So, Father, 
my prayer here today is that if there's others, if there's people, who, some who are here this morning who are struggling with this idea of accumulating thing of just a little more, just a little more, that you would release them of that bondage. Father, that they would become content, Lord, and be able to view what they have through your eyes and to be able to use that in ways, Lord God, that would be a benefit to them and to others. And Father, if there's some here who are struggling with just this sense of um, insufficiency, where they just don't feel like they have enough, or, or, or maybe they're struggling in areas of finances and they're just having a hard time trusting you. Father, I pray even this day, this week, that you would provide for them in ways that they've never expected. Father, provide for them in ways that for the rest of their lives, as long as they continue to breathe, they will know that they can trust you with their finances and trust you with their possessions. Father, may we be a people who are trustworthy with the assets you've given us. Father, may we be a people who are generous with money, who are generous with our things. Father, may we be a people that others look to and say, these are people who love Jesus, who are a true reflection of his glory in their lives. So Father, we commit these things to you now in Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.